Welcome to the podcast where Beast Mode meets Manifesting Goddess. If you're ready to become the energetic match for all of your desires and start achieving from a place of joy and expansion, you are in the right place. I'm your host, Kayla Van Egdom, a health and energy coach, unicorn lover, and Amazon best-selling author. Crushing your goals can feel like self-care, and together we are going to slay and thrive. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Slay and Thrive podcast. I am so happy you are here with me this week and also this month, but this week in particular because this week is the podcast's one year birthday. I released the first episodes of this podcast on June 10th of 2021. So I'm in a celebratory mode for this week and really this entire month of June. I have loved creating this podcast. I wanted to do it for a long time before I actually did it. And it's been such an amazing, sometimes scary journey. I have really gotten outside of my comfort zone doing something other than writing. And I've also gotten outside of my comfort zone sharing certain stories or aspects of myself that aren't always easy to share. However, I know it's also been good for me. It's been a great way to express myself creatively in a different way. And I also think I've gotten better at it as the months have gone on. I think I admitted back in an early episode that I often would write out every single word of my podcast episodes and then I would read them out loud because I was so nervous and I wanted to make sure everything was amazing and I knew I was better at writing than I was just with speaking. However, I have now stopped writing out my entire episodes and I've been more comfortable freestyling it and trusting that I'll still produce great episodes for you all. I still usually have an outline of some sort, but I'm not reading word for word. And to celebrate this birthday month, I am actually going to do a giveaway. And this giveaway is going to be one of my top 10 most life-changing books of all time. I actually thought this would be a pretty easy episode to put together, but it was not because I had so many books I could have put on the list and I had to very regretfully put some aside because others just had a little bit more of an impact on my overall life. I could have done a top 10 best honorable mentions list as well, but I didn't. We're sticking to the top 10. And you can actually win any of these books. You get to pick one of the 10. And there are two ways you can enter this giveaway. One is you can leave a rating and review of the podcast. And you want to make sure you use your full name, Instagram handle, something so that I can reach out and contact you if you win. You could also enter by screenshotting a favorite episode and then posting it in your Instagram or Facebook stories. 
so that I can see that, you'll want to tag me. I'm Kayla Van Egdom on both Instagram and Facebook. And I know it's an extra step. And honestly, I don't think I've even left a review for every single amazing podcast I've ever listened to. I've left reviews for many, but not all. And I also know that ratings and reviews are how the podcast grows and how it can just help more people. So if this podcast has helped you, which I truly, truly believe it has in some way, and I've also gotten messages from people at various points telling me about how certain episodes have helped them. So if it's helped you, it would mean the world to me if you just took those few minutes to rate and review this podcast on whatever podcast app you're using. And on to the top 10 most life-changing books of all times, at least for me. These are books that I've usually read multiple times or come back to on kind of a yearly basis. I probably return to them as resources because they have practices or ways of thinking that I just want to get better and better at. And they're books that have these tools and practices that I've implemented that have drastically changed my life. I know I've talked about a few of these in different episodes before, but I wanted to compile my top 10 list for easy access for all of you who are looking for something new to read that's going to stretch you and help you grow and expand. We're going to go in chronicle, chronological order, starting with the first time I read the book. Again, I often go back to these books on multiple occasions. Some of them I've read up to three times. But we're going to go in chronological order. Apparently that's a hard word to say for me. As I share, I'm going to give a bit of context about why I might have chosen to read it, why it impacted me so much at the time. I'll also share how my perspective changed after reading the book, as well as the new tools or practices I picked up from the book and how those really changed the way I did certain parts of my life. I will wrap up by sharing who this book might be for, so you can decide, man, that one sounds like one I could really use at this point on my journey. So I plan on this being a very helpful episode to celebrate some amazing books and amazing authors, as well as give you some resources that you can go to beyond this podcast. Without further ado, we are going to start with book number one. And that book is When Food is Love by Janine Roth. I read this book back for the first time in 2013, and then I picked it up again around 2015, and then again back in 2020. During this time, I was going through a lot of struggles with both my weight and with relationships. I found that I kept gaining and losing the same amount of weight. I kept returning to binge eating. And I also saw the same patterns continuing to repeat themselves 
in my romantic relationships. And it was so frustrating because I tried so hard to break free of the pattern. I just happened to be doing it in a very incorrect, unhelpful way. So the pattern was I would find someone and I would fall head over heels in love with them, at least so I thought, and I would pursue them relentlessly. I would try really hard. I would put a lot of effort in and that would drive them away each and every time. And trying to keep this objective, there were actions taken by these love interests that most people would objectively confirm were not kind, were not uh, caring to me specifically. And again, I'm going to keep it objective without going into victim mode over it. And it was even more frustrating because I really tried to change this pattern. I was aware of it and I thought if I just change the type of person I'm pursuing, I can change this pattern. So I went from for many years in my early 20s, pursuing these guys that were into drugs, they were drinking, they were playboys. I decided if I just got away from that type of guy, I would be all good. So I then gravitated toward this one coworker who was withdrawn. He was shy. He was a bookworm. He was intelligent. He felt like everything that these other partners had not been. And yet a very similar dynamic played out in this relationship. So I read this book because it really spoke to me and I saw the parallels between how I was eating and how I was doing my romantic relationships. I cried so much when I read this book because I saw so much of myself in it. It also led me to read quite a few more of Janine Roth's books And I would recommend them to anyone who is struggling with food and weight and really want to heal this relationship on a deeper, more spiritual level. Because eating and weight loss challenges are so much more than physical. They're often, if not always, really connected to our past and our childhood. This was a book that gave me so much more depth and understanding into both my challenges with health and with relationships. This book inspired me to go into counseling and start working through some of these things with a professional because I knew I wasn't going to figure it all out on my own. So as I mentioned, I read it at least three times and the last time was in 2020 when I was considering ending my relationship. I had to figure out if I was self-sabotaging or if my heart just deeply wanted to be somewhere else. This book is going to be for you if you find yourself with a lot of turbulence in both your romantic relationships and your weight loss journey. And you could also see, hey, maybe there are some parallels between these two arenas. I'm also going to give a little bit of a quote from the book that'll really help drive home some of the core message. So Janine Roth writes, eating is a metaphor for the way we live. It is also a metaphor for the way we love. 
excessive fantasizing, creating drama, the need to be in control, and wanting what is forbidden are behaviors that block us from finding joy in food and relationships. And some of the guidelines that allowed me to break free from compulsive behavior, learning to stay present, beginning to value ourselves now, giving the hungry child within us a voice, trusting our physical and emotional hungers, and teaching ourselves to receive pleasure, enable us to be intimate with another person. And just to wrap up this little bit of a talk about this particular book, I don't think it's a coincidence that during the same year, I made massive shifts and healed so much of my compulsive eating behavior was also the year I started dating Chris, which is, in my opinion, my most intimate and connected and loving relationship. And that is not to say anything bad about my past relationships. It says more about me because I was in a state of just checking out and being numb and isolated and disconnected from my values and desires. So again, I'm not speaking ill of any of my past relationships. They all were gifts in their own ways. But again, I think there are so many parallels between food and relationships. And if you decide to heal them simultaneously, that process can be magical. At least it was for me. All right, on to book two, which is Eating in the Light of the Moon by Anita Johnson. This book is such a fresh, gentle, loving look at eating and weight loss and what this all looks like for women specifically and why we have it a lot harder than most men do. This is a bit of a generalization, but it also rings really true. For most of the male clients I had, they just kind of needed to know what to do, be given some guidance and accountability, and they could take off and run with it for the most part. Women tended to be the ones that had more of a turbulent, volatile relationship here. I read this book back in 2015 for the first time, and I've come back to it many times since then. I'll often just flip to a particular chapter that I feel called to. Even recently in the last week or so, I was feeling really hormonal and cranky coming up around the time of my period. And there's actually a whole chapter in this book about looking at your menstrual cycle differently. And that's just a really cool chapter in itself. So I'll save that for you if you read it. But this book is about how women can transform their relationship with food through myths and metaphors and storytelling. And you don't get a lot of books like this that have beautiful, relevant stories in them. It's also a very feminine approach to food and body image, which is so valuable. Anita Johnson writes, Women who struggle with disordered eating more often than not, have an overly dominant inner masculine that continues to attempt and control the feminine. Their masculine side is unrelentingly critical, even hostile, 
towards their feminine side. Consequently, their lives are filled with activities, chores, and endless lists of things they must get done. Moments of reverie, relaxation, or quiet time are either condemned as a waste of time or avoided because feelings or desires might surface that might question or in some way interfere with their ambitions or goals. Nighttime becomes particularly treacherous because without the business and rushing here and there, doing this and that, dreaded urges to eat fill up the space that is not allowed to remain empty and still. I have seen this time and time again, the fact that society still overvalues the masculine. And I actually saw this very much so when I did my two series in January and February. I did a slay series in January, which was Activate Your Masculine Superpowers. That month, by far, out of all the podcast months I've done, had the most downloads. The next month was the Thrive series, Activate Your Feminine Superpowers. I had the lowest downloads of any month ever, right after having the highest amount of downloads. And I'm going to be honest, my confidence was a little bit shaken and I mean, my like, as stupid as it is, my feelings were a little bit hurt and I was kind of dismayed Um, because, you know, you work hard on all the podcasts and I know how much I've benefited from that feminine energy in my life. But it was interesting to see that there was such a interest in the masculine superpowers and a significantly less interest in the feminine superpowers. So I shook myself off, didn't take it personally and realized like, I have podcasts I love to death, and I also don't listen to every single episode. Some just don't resonate with me. But I wanted to share this situation that happened with the podcast because there's still such a clear need for the celebration and the honoring of our feminine, because that is what's going to help us slay and thrive. My life didn't change when I pushed even harder and got into even more of my masculine energy. My life changed when I stopped overvaluing the slay energy in my life and allowed the thrive energy to become present as well. This was one of the books that really helped me start applying a more feminine, balanced approach to my goals. So this book is for you. If maybe you were one of those people who avidly listened to all of the Slay series in January and just skipped over the Thrive series in February. So it's a book for you if you struggle with food and weight and you also apply a lot of masculine strategies. Things like weighing yourself, tracking food, counting calories, masculine forms of exercise. These things aren't necessarily bad, But they can become harmful if they aren't balanced out with the more feminine energy or if they're just over relied on and they're made like the gold standard over everything else that's equally important, which includes how we're feeling as we go through our journey. Book number three is called Loving What Is by Byron Katie. And this book can 
end all suffering if you choose to go through the process it entails. This book gets you to take any situation that is creating resentment, stress, or fear, and it walks you through a process that actually dissolves all of the negative charge. That sounds like a tall order, but it is actually what the book can do for you. The catch is you actually have to do the work and the process that it describes. I read this book for the first time back in either 2015 or 2016. It was part of the curriculum for my eating psychology certification course. At the time, I read it, thought it was a great idea, was inspired by it, and I don't think I implemented it a single time. So it actually wasn't as helpful for me at that time in my life as it could have been. But then I actually picked it up again this year and reread it after Carolyn Elliott talked about it in Existential Kink. And at this point in my life, 2022 versus 2015, Kayla, I have seen the power in actually doing the processes in all the many books that I like to read. So I have started to add this inquiry process to my journaling. And I have found that it actually dissolves all suffering because our suffering never actually comes from what's going on in our lives. It's coming from our perspective about it and it's coming from the way that we are attaching to wanting things to be different than they actually are. So an example of this in my own journal process, I had a time in early April where I wrote about the thought, this is taking too long in regards to a goal I had. And then you'll ask these four questions. The first one is, is it true? Second question is, can you absolutely be sure that it's true? In which case the answer is always no. I have yet to find a case where it isn't no. A big part of this process is finding the hidden should. So by thinking this is taking too long, the should there was this shouldn't be taking as long as it is. And then you can do some thought work around the should that you find. And the reality is the answer to any shoulds that you come up with, the answer is always going to be no. Because... My goal and the progress towards it shouldn't be taking less time because it's taking the time that it's taking. And to argue with the timeline and how things were unfolding was just to argue with reality. And that's where we suffer. It's when we argue with reality. So this process will get you to create more surrender and acceptance in your life and stop fighting reality. So Byron Katie writes, the work reveals that what you think shouldn't have happened should have happened. It should have happened because it did. She talks about how you'll eventually get to this place where you actually can't find a problem to do this process on. I've personally stopped doing it as often, not because I 
have gotten inconsistent or anything like that. But because I don't see as many problems because I can catch myself and realize that I'm just arguing with reality. I imagine that as things come up, I'll have to use the process again. Um, But for now, I've cleared a lot of the resistance that has been in my life. This has made my relationships better. It's also helped me take even more personal responsibility and ownership, which I always love that. That is one of my core values because I realize that so much of my own distress comes down to my thinking and my perspective. And I always get to change that if I choose it. And as for who this book is for, I honestly think every single human in the world could benefit from practicing the skills in this book. So this one is for everyone. Book number four is The Desire Map by Danielle Laporte. This was a book I read in 2017, and it was a gift from my ex-girlfriend at the time. It was honestly the perfect book for me because I was very much goal-driven for the sake of having goals. It was for the sake of distracting myself from all of the internal pain I was feeling, and it was also just going after goals because I was trying to prove myself or become immune to judgment and criticism because I'd achieved so many things. It was very ego-driven and honestly quite toxic as well. I lived under this false belief that I was just one external goal away from feeling acceptable and lovable. I didn't realize at the time that no amount of external transformation would change how I felt on a deep level. That had to come from deep inner work. The tagline for this book is creating goals with soul, which I absolutely love. And I love the concept that none of us really want a particular goal as much as we think we do. What we actually want is the feelings, the emotions, the state that we expect the goal to generate for us. And another concept in this book is, what if you were to decide in advance what these core feelings are? Then you could use these feelings as a compass, not just for the big goals you choose to set, but for your daily actions. So I've gone through this process quite a few times. I have uh, done it for the years 2020, 2021, and 2022. And I know in 2021, I wanted to feel expansion and alignment. And by deciding those were the things I wanted to feel in advance, I was able to A, expand in many ways, And B, also come into a life that was more in alignment with what I truly wanted for my future, what my core values were, all of those different things. For 2022, I had how I wanted to feel, but I also had how I wanted this year to feel. And I wanted this year to be the most magical year ever. And I have had all of these different things come into my life this year alone 
that have honestly felt magical. This year, I also wanted to feel liberated. And this whole year up to this point has also felt like this steady, gradual liberation of freedom and possibility on every level. Because I think there are all kinds of liberation. There's going to be physical, emotional, spiritual, financial. And I think in 2020, one of my words was free. But to me this year, liberation just felt more potent and wild than the word free. So these have been such powerful guiding stars for me. I return to this particular practice every single year now because I've seen the magic it creates. And if you really resonate with these ideas, I did a couple episodes at the very beginning of this podcast. Um, Number two was one of them. So I talked about slaying without thriving. And then episode four was lead with your desires. And those two episodes were also partially inspired by this book. I'm going to try and remember all the different podcast episodes where I've talked about these books in the past and I'll link those episodes in the episode description if you haven't listened to those and maybe wanted to go back and dive a little deeper and revisit some of these concepts. So a little bit of a quote from the book itself. Danielle Laporte writes, when we are able to recognize our core desired feelings as sparks of divinity that can begin the illumination of our life, there is a feeling of, ah, we are unveiling what is already there, not adding yet another layer to our already cloaked hearts. There is a sense of having arrived home. And this is such a powerful distinction between setting goals that come from our ego, trying to prove ourselves, trying to make ourselves feel a certain way with the external variables. Instead, we get to create goals that come from our heart and our soul. And when we come from that place that's more from our essence, our goals are going to feel more aligned because they're about who we already are and about coming back to that place instead of trying to force a change or try to fix ourselves with these ego-driven goals. This book is for you if you are an avid goal chaser, but your goals always leave you feeling empty and disappointed once you achieve them. And maybe this causes you to seek another goal because you maybe think you just haven't picked the right one yet. This book is also for you if you are committed to both slaying and thriving. It's a great one to return to at least once a year. As I said, I return to it at the end of each year to set some intentions for a new year. And it's just been a really great way to do the stereotypical New Year's resolutions a little bit differently. Book number five is kind of a Bible for emotional mastery and emotional wellness. This one was actually another gift from my same ex-girlfriend I mentioned before. She had a knack for picking out amazing books as gifts. That was like 
Such a skill of hers. So I read this in early 2018, and it's still a book I return to on occasion because there is so much value in it. So this book is all about the power of emotions. We live in a society where if we're told we're emotional, it's usually said in a negative context. And emotions are often often deemed as like wild and turbulent and volatile and that we have to control them or sometimes even like repress them or stuff them down because they're getting in our way. This book presents the idea that every emotion is valuable and we can use them as guideposts for our life. And another thing that was really amazing about this book was it talked about the idea of your internal village, which has the four elements. So physical health, your earth element, your mental health, your air element, your fire element, which is your spiritual health, and then your water element, which is your emotional health. I actually got a tattoo of the four elements because I wanted this reminder of that we have this entire village and sometimes we're not accessing all of it. So some of us will just overwork our air element. So we'll be thinking, 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 and we're not using these other elements at our disposal. So we're not using the power of our emotions. Or maybe we're disconnected from our earth element, our physical health, and we're not taking action and that type of thing. So I also use this book alongside my emotion coaching process. I've talked about that uh, process in I think it was episode 17. So master your emotions and manifest like a goddess. And there was a time a couple weeks ago, actually, that I was feeling a lot of unexpected sadness that felt like it came out of nowhere. Sadness is probably the emotion I feel the least, which probably says something about work I might need to do on a regular basis. Because the gifts in sadness are helping us let go and release what's not serving us. So when I felt this sadness, I realized that there were certain ways I was approaching parts of my life that were creating a lot of unhappiness and stopping me from being joyful and present in the moment. I was kind of withholding that from myself. And I was really sad thinking about all of the time and joy and love I was missing out on as a result of having these ways of approaching life. So I actually was able to journal about this and realize what I needed to release. So the thought patterns, the perspectives, and that created a lot more inner peace and happiness overall. I also believe this book is also the key to ending addictions, distractions, and compulsions. She has a whole chapter on this in the book. I don't know if I actually said her name. Uh, The author is Carla McLaren. And she talks about the ways we turn to things like food or sex or shopping or drugs as a distraction. And how it's because we don't want to feel certain emotions. And she writes, there's no way any of us can say no to distractions and addictions until we fully understand why we say yes. 
This book is for you. If you struggle with any compulsive behaviors, procrastination, overspending, overeating, and you're just ready to end the war with yourself. It's also a book for you if you know that you avoid particular emotions or have a hard time feeling them. This book will help you turn your emotions into power. And we talked about how magical that is back in episode 44 of the podcast. That was in the Thrive series and it was called Activate Emotional Potency. So I think this is book number six now. And this one is Chasing Cupcakes by Elizabeth Benton. I cannot say enough great things about this woman. So she has her own podcast, um, Primal Potential, and she also has these really transformational programs called the 12 Weeks to Transformation. I went through all three levels of these. I am an avid listener of her podcast, and she's really helped me break through a lot of the mental and emotional barriers that I really had. So we've already talked about the language of emotions, eating in the light of the moon, and the desire map. And those are all books that can really help you change your emotional landscape. This book, Chasing Cupcakes, along with Loving What Is, these are books that are going to help you up-level your mental landscape. I have also gifted this book multiple times. Um, (laughs) I am going to say be careful who you gift this one to. The subtitle of it is How One Broke Fat Girl Changed Her Life and How You Can Too. So I gifted it to both of my sisters. (laughs) I had one sister who, you know, had a sense of humor about it, kind of got a giggle. My other sister did not find it humorous and she asked if I thought that of her. Did you do you think I'm a fat broke girl? Which... No, I didn't. I just know how many great tools there are in this book for transformation. So again, if you're going to gift this one after you read it and love it to pieces, maybe be careful who you gift it to. (laughs) So this book is all about becoming a better thinker. It's about ending your excuses and creating change that lasts. It's about shifting your approach So you actually build consistency into your life and change who you are as a person rather than just trying to achieve a goal or solve a problem. I read this one in 2018 when it came out, if I remember correctly. And she's actually the one who got me into the habit of applying what I read. Before this, I was very much read all the books, don't do any of the activities or practices, move on. And there's some value in that but not as much as if you actually go through and do the practices and take the action. She has a chapter about this right at the beginning of the book about how to use it. And she writes, A tool's value doesn't come from the fact that you know how to use it. It comes from what you do with it. And this is something I try to remember on a very regular basis. I have picked up many, many tools along the way, and they have no value unless I'm using them. So I'll often think, what tool does this situation require? And I'm not just going to think about the tool. I am going to get in my journal or sit down to do a meditative practice or whatever and actually use the tool. 
So this book is for you if you want to improve any area of your life that maybe you've struggled with for a long time. It's a book for you if you fall prey to excuses or if you find yourself falling off the wagon, whatever that means to you, on a more regular basis than you would like. Book number seven is The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. We are finally adding some masculine energy to this list. I read this back in October of 2019. And I remember reading it this time because I was on a trip to a half marathon. And at this time in my life, I was honestly struggling a lot. I had went back up to my heaviest weight ever a few months before. I was feeling just really empty. I had had an injury, so I hadn't been able to train as well for the race as I would have liked. Just a lot of different things that were creating a lot of unhappiness and also not very much success. So I read this in October of 2019, and this kickstarted my decision to do my entire life differently. It's a principle I still live my life by today. It is so powerful and it really has changed so much. And what I love about how accessible it is, I do not think I am a special snowflake or better than anybody else out there. I know anybody else can apply this concept and take their life to whatever level they desire. So one of the main concepts of this book is that the way to create any level of success that we want is to do simple daily disciplines that will compound over time. He talks about why most people aren't successful and why they don't get the lasting change they desire. He has this graph in the book where the baseline is survival and then above the above there you start to go into thriving and then below the line is like not survival like you're just like at a rock bottom place. And what happens for most of us is we'll hit that survival line or maybe go a little bit below it and we're in this place where we're really motivated by our pain and wanting to feel a release of that pain. So what we'll do is we'll decide I'm in pain in this area, whether that area is relationships, finance, weight loss, whatever. So we decide we're going to start doing some habits to take away that pain, to help us get out of that situation. And over time, doing those activities, we start to feel better. And we move past the survival line up, getting into the place of comfort. And then what very often happens is because we're now comfortable, we're not motivated by pain, we stop doing those things, our sense of happiness goes back down, we're back in survival mode, we're below survival mode, maybe we get back to that rock bottom place. So we keep repeating this cyclical pattern of survive, feel better, stop doing the things, back to survival. However, if we were to simply keep doing those simple daily disciplines indefinitely, forever, for months, years, decades, we would live our lives in a state of thriving indefinitely as well. And the better it got, the better it would get. 
He writes, success takes time. Yes, more than most people are willing to wait, but not as much as you'd think. And once the momentum of the slight edge starts to kick in, it becomes unstoppable. And you reach a point where results do indeed start to happen very fast indeed. This is a concept that has literally changed my entire life. I get fired up just thinking about it. And I really want you to think about this as well. Most people stop their habits or their disciplines or their practices when they're still in that flat part of the compound interest graph. So I imagine you've seen one of these compound interest lines where there's not a lot of vertical movement during the first part of the graph. But over time, that graph gets steeper and steeper and steeper. Many people give up on their habits or disciplines when they're still in that flat part of the graph. So they feel like it's not working. It's not doing anything. It's not moving the needle. What's the point? Why keep going? You want to keep going because you want to get to that steep part of the compound interest graph. So how did I apply this to my own life? In 2020, instead of doing the typical goals that I usually set, so lose the weight, save this much money, whatever, I decided I was going to track eight habits. So I tracked those eight habits and prioritized them for the entire year of 2020. And 2020, as we all know, was a year of turbulence and sacrifice and stress and a lot of really messed up things happened during that year. I ended my relationship. I canceled my wedding. Our workplace had to go online and there was some uncertainty there, lots of adjusting. And I feel like I showed up better in that year than I did in any other year. And I know that was because I was prioritizing these eight habits. And I don't remember all of them. I know that I had yoga and meditation. I had win my evening. I had writing, so writing on a daily basis. Um, And yeah, I don't remember what the other ones... Oh, I was also tracking my... Like doing my wins and gratitudes, I think. Um... But um, in 2021, I took this same concept, but I just tweaked some of the habits. I also did it differently in that I had two habits for my mental health, two habits for my physical health, two for my spiritual, and two for my emotional. So some of the habits stayed the same, but some of them were different. One of the biggest changes I made in 2021 that I committed to emotion coaching myself every single day. And this was really helpful because before I had only been coaching myself through my emotions when they were uncomfortable emotions. And what I found was then I was just focused on when emotions were negative. And that gave me the power to work through uncomfortable emotions. But then I wasn't noticing and honoring when I was feeling content or peaceful or grateful. And I wasn't validating those emotions. So when I just chose to feel my emotions every single day, it continued to help me become skilled at navigating those uncomfortable emotions, but it also allowed me to drop more deeply 
into those joyful, happy, comfortable emotions. And by validating those regularly, it actually created a different emotional set point because we all have these emotional set points we gravitate to. And when I decided I am going to really make myself right when I feel good and tell myself I'm worthy of feeling this good, it just keep it kept me at a more like level place than I had been before. So that's what I did very differently for those two years. And then this year, I found that I really didn't need to track all of these things that had already become second nature. I write every day now. I emotion coach. It was becoming redundant to like have the whole tracker in there. So what I've done this year that's very different is I've zeroed in on the one thing that isn't as consistent for me as I'd like it to be yet. And that one thing is my evening routine, how I finish the day. What's really great about me keeping those trackers for the years 2020 and 2021 is that I could see what my streak was for those years. So how many evenings in a row did I win in those two years? I had a 32-day streak in 2020 and a 56-day streak in 2021. So now I'm going for a 60-day win. So I'm going to win 60 evenings in a row. And I've set very clear parameters for what a win looks like. And as I record this episode, it is day 35, over halfway there. And then I've decided, why not go for 90 or 100 or just make it indefinite? And then I've asked myself, what's going to happen When I win 100 nights in a row, for example, when I finish strong and that like really excites me because I feel like that is going to be the very steep part of that compound interest line. So I want you to think about this for yourself. What are those simple daily disciplines where you notice they were getting you results, but then you, they kind of fell off. Think about what would happen if you did those daily disciplines for 60, 90, 100 days in a row. How would your life change? And then find a way to prioritize that momentum. So this book, I think, could help anyone and everyone. It's a paradigm to live your life through that will create success and fulfillment at the same time. So I think this is definitely a fantastic Slay and Thrive classic. And now we are on to our eighth book in the list. Our next book on the list is Super Better by Jane McGonigal. I read this one in 2020, and it's another one that I often return to for some of the practices. It's a very actionable book, and I've already talked about the power of not just reading something, but taking action. This book talks about the power we can get when we get into what she calls a gameful mindset. So this is the mindset that we often have when we are playing certain games. So it's a mindset that embraces challenge and turn things into more of a game, which makes them more fun, opens up our capacity to be creative, and takes a lot of the pressure off as well. So this process and these ideas can be used for both post-traumatic growth, 
So that's growth that happens after a difficult situation, like losing a job, a breakup, whatever it might be. But it can also be used for post-ecstatic growth. So this is growth that happens from something good that's often more of our choosing, like choosing to run a marathon or choosing to write a book or getting into a new relationship, starting a family. What I love about this book is the quests, the practices, and the tools that can be applied to literally anything. So I have used this process for my weight loss journey. I have also used this process to make the best of the situation during the pandemic. And I also used it to navigate my breakup back in 2020. Even though I knew that breakup was the right decision, it opened doors for my ex, allowed her to get something that she truly wanted, um, just definitely the right thing for both of us. I had an entire week where I basically just like cried in bed all week. And again, this was just knowing that it was the right decision, but also just being really sad about the pain it was causing my ex and the end of my first long-term relationship. So I was able to use the practices in this book to move through that grief and find closure and all of those different things. She still has a really, a lot of these tactics and tools that I go to on a regular basis. So one of them is power-ups. And that's just these little micro things you can do to change your state in an instant. There's also the secret identity um, practice that she has that I still use on a regular basis, which I'm not going to share too much about because it's secret. <laughs> and then I also really love the challenge yourself tactic. So she writes about the, the challenge mindset versus the threat mindset. She writes this. In a threat mindset, you focus on the potential for risk, danger, harm, or loss. You feel pressured to prevent a negative outcome rather than to achieve a positive outcome. In a challenge mindset, you focus on the opportunity for growth and positive outcomes. Even though you acknowledge that you may face risk, harm, or loss, you feel realistically optimistic that you can develop useful skills or strategies to achieve the best possible outcome. This is honestly my favorite hack ever for dealing with stress. I choose to no longer see it as a threat. It's a challenge, a game, something that I can like go in there and get stronger by tackling. So I think this is another book that could truly serve anyone regardless of what their goals are. And then you're going to get double bonus points if you're already a gamer and just love the idea of gamifying your life. So we are getting on to our last two books in the list. This next one is book number nine. It's more masculine energy for you all. And this book is called The Illusion of Money by Kyle Cease. And this is not just a book about money. This is a book about how we do life. And this is a book that my sister actually recommended to me twice. She recommended it to me once 
at one point and I said, yeah, I'll read it one time. And then I was sharing with her and my mom some struggles I was having about whether or not to spend some money on a course. And she said, Kayla, you really need to read this book. So she recommended it twice and I devoured it and got so much out of it. And one of the parts I really loved about the book was the average alignment score. And I talked about this in episode 22, the episode on choosing joy. So doing that practice made me realize that the job I had at the time now felt out of alignment. So my job on a scale of 1 to 10, in terms of how aligned it felt, felt like a 5. But then I also realized I needed to break it down and put my job into its various components. And I realized that I felt lower on the spectrum in terms of like doing personal training sessions and building programs. That didn't feel as aligned, but I still got really lit up about actually coaching people on mindset and emotions and all that type of thing. And I also really loved creating content. So there were parts of my job still very much in alignment. Unfortunately, the bulk of my job, 30 hours or so, was done doing something that no longer felt in alignment. And that's not to say anything bad about doing personal training or building programs. I loved that job for well over six years. And now it just felt like I had grown and I wanted to step into something that was more in alignment. And then another part of this um, book that really resonated with me was the story of the three Helens. So I'm going to actually get out the book for you and read you this story and then talk about how it changed the way I did money as well as life in general. Okay, here is the story. Let's imagine three people. Let's call them Helen number one, Helen number two, and Helen number three. That's stupid and confusing. Let's call them Helen A, Helen B, and Helen C. Now, imagine that we give Helen, each Helen, one million dollars. And let's also imagine that each Helen is starting at around the same place financially. They have similar skills, are a similar age, and other than a few philosophical differences that we'll discover later, are similarly capable. Maybe that's why they're all named Helen. So Helen A gets her million dollars and is pretty pumped, as you can imagine. She immediately quits her job and rents a huge luxury apartment so she can throw parties all the time. She gets a new convertible, a new wardrobe, a giant kid rock statue, and a bunch of new jewelry. At the end of year one, Helen A has had some short-term fun, but hasn't evolved much. Also, she has spent about half of her money already. The average kid rock statue goes for around $250,000, depending on your provider. Helen B, on the other hand, has learned some basic investing principles and has been to numerous free financial seminars at her local courtyard by Marriott Hotel. She's pretty smart with her money right off the bat. She doesn't quit her job and, other than paying off some debt and making a few smart purchases, invests her money for the future. Let's say she puts almost all her money into a secure investment that will guarantee a 10% return, which is awesome. Pretty smart, right? 
At the end of the year, Helen B. still has slightly more money than she started with, a new sense of security, and a long-term plan. Like Helen A., she hasn't expanded much, even though her money has. Now, let's look at Helen C. Helen C. has read this book, knows that I can deadlift close to 400 pounds, and understands that her connection to herself is her number one asset. She decides to use her million dollars only in ways that expand her. Realizing that her job is not truly her passion, Helen C. actually does quit her job, just like Helen A. However, instead of throwing parties and buying overpriced statues of celebrities from the 90s, Helen C. uses her free time to learn more about herself. She takes a backpacking trip around Europe because it's always been a dream of hers. She learns so many things about herself and the world that when she returns, she feels like an entirely new person. Feeling a new sense of freedom, Helen C. now starts using her time to meditate and do yoga and get her body in shape. She hires a personal trainer and nutritionist and is feeling healthier than ever. As she feels better and better, she starts to have more energy. She is feeling excited and inspired in so many different areas of her creativity. She starts taking painting classes and dance lessons and continues traveling to new places. She decides to start a business that brings together all of her real passions. Because it feels inspired, she uses her money to invest in starting a podcast and a YouTube channel to share all the gifts and messages that are showing up for her. She also invests money in hiring people to do the work in the business that is not in her highest excitement so that she can spend time expanding towards the things that do excite her. At the end of year one, Helen C. has spent and invested almost half her money, but is building a business that feeds her soul and is feeling more alive than ever. So, from what you know about the Helens, who's going to win? I'm joking. There are no winners or losers here. We're all on our own journeys. What I mean is, who is the best? I'm being sarcastic. What I'm saying is, who is a much better person than the other two idiots? <laughs> Seriously, though, at the end of year one, you can see that Helen A has made some short-term decisions that will probably leave her completely broke in a few short years. Even though that's extremely easy to see here, that's still the way many of us live. We often choose the short-term, egoic pleasure of television or fast food or alcohol, or whatever it is we turn to momentary comfort, but somehow we can't see how much that is costing us in the long run. It's not just costing us money, it's costing us our connection to ourselves and the ability to discover what gifts we might truly bring to the world. So Helen A is obviously going down a road that is probably going to cause her some pain in the future, but no problem. She's a great lady. I'm sure she'll bounce back. Helen B, on the other hand, has done something that most people would say is extremely responsible, disciplined, and long-term focused. She's planning for her future and creating financial security. And that's great. When you start to compare Helen B and Helen C, though, it's not so obvious who's on the path toward true abundance. Helen C has less money than Helen B, at the end of the first year and less of a concrete plan, but is starting to tap into something that is more fulfilling 
soul expanding and quite possibly a bit more valuable than the 10% that Helen B is getting back. Helen B is making her money secure, but Helen C is changing as a human being. Helen C is moving in a way that I found pays for itself over and over again, investing in yourself. This is the way that my company has basically doubled in reach, impact, and impact income every year for the last five years. Following my excited passion and investing in my creativity is getting much bigger results, not only in terms of fulfillment, but in literal dollars and cents than I could ever get from buying from a bank or the stock market or from buying duplexes or even just normal plexes. Instead of a safety blanket, my money is the fuel for my creativity and I use it as a tool that propels me into higher levels of value. Every time I take a leap and stretch myself by doing something like writing a check for a huge down payment on a theater rental or producing something, I force myself to shift into a new channel of thinking and discover higher solutions because I've created something that is calling me in a bigger way. When I invest in my creativity, it leverages me into more of myself. It moves me forward. It moves this message forward. It fulfills my soul and moves me deeper into alignment with something so much more secure than guaranteed interest. So that story was the story of the three Helens from the illusion of money. And that just really spoke to me based on where I was in my life. So honestly, I have been all three Helens at one point or another. Sometimes Helen A and Helen B at the same time, sort of, if you can do that. For a lot of my 20s, I partied really hard. I spent I don't know how much money on alcohol and other substances. I spent a lot of money trying to force my body into a different shape with all the hacks and tips and techniques. I just spent a lot of money on pleasure and distraction. And then I realized when I was suddenly deeply in debt and <laughs> really struggling that that was not in my best interest. So I think I became more of Helen B in my mid-20s. So I saved up for the down payment on a home, which was still to this day one of the luckiest investments I've ever made. I started paying off all my debt. I put a lot of money into savings. And even doing that, I didn't feel financially free. I still felt like I had to stay at my job because it paid really well. I had to keep saving and saving and saving. And maybe one day when I had, you know, six figures in savings, maybe then I could leave my job and do all the things I wanted to do. And then I read this book and I learned about Helen C. And I decided that that was who I wanted to be. And that was right around the time when I chose to invest in Inner Coach Mastery Level 2. And it was a big investment for me. It really stretched me and pushed my edges. And it was also one of the things that helped me grow and transform the most. And then from there, that was also when I decided to invest in a business coach. And that investment was even scarier. It was half of my RSPs. And I, I had a lot of feelings of like, is this responsible? Who am I to spend this type of money? Even though it was money I had saved up. 
And honestly, each one of those investments has paid off tenfold in so many different ways. My life has just transformed as a result of shifting from needing to save all the money to also balancing it with also investing in myself in the present moment. Because honestly, we can't take our money with us. And yes, I I fully believe in wanting to be well off for retirement and all these things. But if I feel like crap and am not living my best life in the present moment because I'm scared to invest in myself, then in my opinion, that's no way to live either. So this book really opened my eyes in so many ways. It caused me to take action. It caused me to invest in myself and make these bold moves. It allowed me to know that like I could leave my job if it wasn't in alignment and I could create new paths and do things differently. And that's just been such a delight. So oh, I cannot say so many good things about this book. I could go on forever as I have. This is like my longest solo episode ever so far. But I really wanted to share how important these books are and how much they changed me. So if you currently feel a lot of scarcity around money, or if you're like me and thought or think that your life is magically going to be better when you have more money, then this book is for you. It's also a book if you just want a new way of looking at different parts of your life, because many of the things he talked about with respect to money also apply really beautifully to our health journey or our journey to our dream relationship. One of the big things he talks about is it's so often our desperation and clinging to these things, whether it's more money, whether it's a better body, whether it's the dream relationship, it's clinging to them that actually keeps them out of our grasp because desperation repels and it's gratitude and alignment that are attractive and magnetic. All right, another deep breath because we are on to book 10. And if you've been listening to the podcast in the past few months, you can probably guess what this book is already. But we are talking about Existential Kink by Carolyn Elliott. And this book has created so many shifts in my life already. I have talked about them in uh, episode 54. So we did a whole episode on one of the ideas in the book having is evidence of wanting. I'm not going to do too much of a re-explanation of that here because we're at an hour and 10 minutes, but that would be a great episode to go to if you want more information about this amazing book. And what this did was it took shadow work and parts integration, which I was learning a lot about in my inner coach programs. It took them to a new level. And it also took my belief in my own ability as well as everyone else's ability to create their own reality. It took all of that to the next level. One of the key concepts of the book is what if we are creating all of it, even the don't like situations, because there's some kinky, naughty part of us that likes the sensations created by the don't like situation. One of the things I've started to do differently after reading this book is just become more deeply approving and turned on by all of life. Speaking of core desired feelings, 
turn on and approval are going to be new ones that I'm working on. And Carolyn Elliott talks more about what it means to be deeply approving and turned on at all times. She talks about how you can really be turned on by any emotion or you can be the turned off version of it. Some examples of this in my own life, just to give some context, just based on what I think that looks like is being turned on in an emotional state is just allowing and approving of the sensation while it's there in the moment instead of trying to repress it or numb it or pretend it's not there. So say you are angry. You can be angry and turned on about it. You can let that like fire fill your belly and you can like go on an angry run and just channel that energy and oh, just feel that anger in like a turned on state. Or you can just be like, trying to pretend you're not angry but you really are and it's simmering below the surface and you're repressing it and you've got this like low-grade feeling all day so that's like a turned off version of being angry right and I think you can also have like a turned on version of being sad and a turned off version of being sad so maybe in like the turned on state you're letting yourself cry and you're letting yourself just deeply release whatever needs to be released And then if you're sad, but you're just trying not to feel it and you're like being the turned off version of it, you might just be kind of like moody and melancholy and just kind of like blah, basically. So that's just an example of how we can actually be a turned on version of any emotion and it's going to feel better. And, you know, who doesn't want to feel better in every state, in every emotion? So this one is similar to super better which is all about, again, gamifying your life. But this one feels like darker and naughtier because it's not just like a game with challenges and quests. It's turning life into this like fun, sensual, kinky game (laughs) instead of having it be something where we're a victim of fate or just struggling to get by. Personally, I have found this framework to be life-changing if you've read any of my fictional books, <laughs> you'll know I'm I'm a little bit like, okay, my books are pretty sexual and they're kind of dark and they're kind of kinky sometimes. So obviously this appeals to me. So Carolyn Elliott writes, becoming whole means we recognize our dark kinky side and that we not only accept it, forgive it, and take responsibility for it, but that we love it, enjoy its antics, And finally, integrate it into our whole being. And this has honestly been such a game changer for me. It's work that I continue to do on a regular basis. And I've seen epic results from it already. And I'm so stoked to see what else it's going to create. All right. So honestly, this book may not be for everyone. It was, it's one that if I had read it years ago, say in 2015, I would have thought this woman was crazy. No, I do not want to be overweight and struggle with binge eating. And no, I do not want to live paycheck to paycheck and always be stressed about my money. And I also don't want to attract these unkind love interests, by the way. (laughs) So that's why I did this list in chronological order, because I think that each book I read built on the next one and the next one and the next one. And I felt like I read them in the perfect timing for me. So this book came to me in perfect timing when I was ready for it. So if you are someone who is willing to 
detach from who you think you are or who you have been up until this point, this book could be for you. If you are someone who is comfortable seeing things in an unorthodox way and have an open mind, this one could also be for you. And if you're also ready to do some deeply uncomfortable work for the purpose of greater enjoyment and success in life, this one is also for you. However, a quick note about this book and these concepts, she definitely recommends starting to do this shadow work and this like existential kink process on more of the minor challenges we have in life. The little annoyances, the things that have some negative charge, she does not recommend starting with like your biggest and most wild traumas and like really negative experiences, which I fully and wholeheartedly recommend as well. By the time I had read this book, I had been to many counselors. I had gotten a lot of help already. So I think I was at a place where I could read this book, integrate its lessons without having a lot of unhealed stuff still in my emotional field. So that's just another little thing about this book that I wanted to mention as well. So those are my books. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I hope it's given you some takeaways and some books that you're going to add to your list of books to read. And remember that you can actually win one of these books of your choosing. And to do so, you'll want to leave a rating and review of the podcast. And just let me know. I'm always open to feedback as well because I want to make this the best show possible for you. And honestly, I'm so excited to pick a winner and see which of these amazing books they choose for themselves. Have an amazing rest of your week. Keep slaying and thriving and we'll see you again in the next episode. Thanks for listening to another episode. If you're loving this podcast, I would be so grateful if you'd subscribe, leave a rating and review of this podcast wherever you listen, and maybe even share this episode with a friend or two. And if you want bonus live trainings, challenges, a monthly book club, and a community of other amazing people looking to slay and thrive daily, I would love for you to join our free Facebook community, the Unicorn Thunder Playground. Hope to see you inside.